Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of The Paranormal Sun, coming to you live from Tower Studios. As always, I'm JT, and I'll be your tour guide as we explore the unexplained. Well, my friends, long-term listeners of both The Paranormal Sun and The Fortunate Sun will realize that one of my biggest personal issues that I go on and on about is the inequality in the world. And what I mean by that is especially the people up at the very top end of the pyramid, the uber-rich, the wealthy and uh, fabulous people up there, living that, uh, living those uh, caviar lifestyles and uh, champagne dreams, or whatever it was Robin Leach used to say when I was growing up. Now, I've done a little bit of investigation myself tonight, and I've found that we're, when I say we, I mean my household, is in about the top 6% of the wealthiest in the world. So I am living your Western lifestyle, so to speak. I'm not some beatnik hippie, so they say, wandering around with a few things in a bag and preaching about materialism being a sin. As I've said on this program many, many times, my friends, I am a hypocrite in many things. However, the difference between me and you, and I would argue probably everyone listening to this program, and these people at that top end of the pyramid, the uber-wealthy, is an order of magnitudes insane. It's no different than the difference between you and I, and somebody living in the poorest parts of Africa, or Asia, or Central or South America. Those people at the very top of the food chain have got such an oversized footprint, as far as wealth, consumerism, pollution, and everything else in comparison to us. You can't even begin to compare the two, to be honest. And uh, you've heard me say it on here a few times on the program, joking about a Russian oligarch supporting the program or something like that. Literally, folks, people at the very top end of the food chain have got so much money that when you hear about some of these things like these huge Wall Street fines, or you hear about some of these fines individuals take, and you'll go, well, that's $100,000, JT, that's a lot of money. No, it's not. Not to those type of people. When you're that high up, example, royal families all over the world, when you've got billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of debt, or sorry, uh, worth of value, plus ongoing income, you can have a $100,000 fine, pay it off, and you'll have earned that money back in a few days, generally. So, I have no issue, although I do think that... I do think that there is a bit of greed in the person that goes out and quote-unquote earns that money. See, this is the argument, I guess. You can look at the tech billionaires, let's say. I won't single anyone out, but as a group, let's talk about the tech billionaires. And you can say, well, JT, they earned that money. And at heart, I do believe that, yes, in general, most people who earn their money have got a right to it. However, when you are worth, when your net worth is 40, 50, 60, 70 billion dollars, and you give away a few million dollars or a few hundred million dollars a year to charities that you can write off as a tax deduction anyway, I'm sorry, I just don't see you as that much of a philanthropist. Yes, your money amount is massive, but it's the old saying. And again, you know we steer away from religion here on the show, and I'm the furthest thing from a biblical scholar, but the story of the widow's might and the story of the widow giving a, a small amount of money, but it's basically all the money she has. And that saying being that, from Jesus, this was a New Testament story, obviously, was that that widow was head and shoulders above all the rich men who gave so much money because she literally gave everything she had to charity, whatever it was. I can't remember exactly who she gave the money to. But this is what I'm getting at, folks. It's easy to look at something and say, oh, well, that celebrity donated a million dollars. What are you doing? Well, yeah, hey, that's great. And if my net worth was $200 million or $300 million and I was still in the middle of my career 
recording records or making movies or whatever it was, yeah, I'm sure I could scrape up a half a million dollars or a million dollars. And I am in no way bagging on the people who do give money. All I'm saying is you've got to put it in context, my friends. If your net worth is $10,000 and you give $1,000, you've given as much money as someone who's worth $100 million giving away a million dollars. And again, don't forget that they get a write-it-off because it's a charitable donation. I don't know about everywhere in the world, but that's how it works in the U.S. So anyway, folks, sorry to go off on a bit of a tirade, but I just wanted to give you a bit of a background. My issue has always been with the people who make uber amounts of money and don't want to pay their fair share, be it in taxes or infrastructure costs or whatever it may be. We've got a lot of that issue going on here in New Zealand right now. You've got house developers, and what they're doing is they're buying a property that might have one house on it, and let's say they buy that property for a million dollars, and that might sound like a joke, folks, but trust me, our our uh, housing market here is really on the boil. It's just hot as a kettle right now. So they buy that property for a million dollars, they tear the house down, and they put up four townhouses on it. They sell each one of the townhouses for five, $500,000, and then they pocket the money. Uh, same with house flipping. The current government has tried to rein it in a little bit, but again, it's bandages on a, on a, on a massive hemorrhage, okay? It's not fixing anything, really. And again, don't get me wrong, it's very difficult for governments to come in and say, for example, if you sell a rental property, you have to pay 20% or 30% of the profit in a tax. I, I mean, anyone who owns those properties is obviously going to be against that, and they're not going to be voting for that party. So it is very unpopular, and it is something that's very difficult for a lot of people to swallow. Now, again, I also do think there are many people up there with a lot of money. And when I say a lot, okay, we're not talking about that Uber amount. But let's say we're talking with people that have got a net worth of $20 million plus U.S. dollars. So a lot of those people at that level, they still feel like they're the small man. They're not that big. They're not that rich. They're not that wealthy. But again, they are in comparison not only to their fellow countrymen, but especially to the world at large. And I guess that old question of when is enough enough never gets sorted because there will always be people that will be chasing the scarcity of property or shares or stocks or precious metals or just money in general. Now, again, folks, I'm a hypocrite and I'm honest about it. Hey, look, I like some of the finer things in life. Do I eat caviar and, and drink? Uh, thousand dollar bottles of champagne and no i don't do i have a yacht heck no the nicest thing that i've really got in my life aside from the property the house where we live is the car that i saved and scrimped and broke my back to get a bit of a dream car now that car is a sports car and it costs quite a bit of money to maintain it's not a ferrari or a lamborghini or anything in fact, a lot of people will have a bit of a laugh when they hear me refer to it as really a dream car, short of having a classic car that I couldn't afford. It's not a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollar car. I didn't buy it new, but I keep it off site. I keep it somewhere safe at a at someone else's house simply because I don't have the money to run it right now. I'm not earning an income. I don't have the money to pay for the high-end fuel it uses, and I don't have the money for insurance. So there it sits. So what I'm really telling you is, yes, I like money as much as the next person, but if the difference in me having that money, if, if it was, hey, JT, you can have your car or you can watch people starve in front of you, guess what? I'm not going to let people starve in front of me. It is what it is. A, a car can be replaced, and when I'm dead and gone, no one's going to say, oh, what a shame he sold that car. <laughs> the only person who might say that 
is somebody who wants to drive it. So what I'm getting at really here, folks, is that it's a slippery slope. And anytime we talk about reigning in wealth, I get that. And again, one person's idea of being fabulously wealthy and another person's are two different things. There are people in the world, there are people here in this country, even with me not working, that would think that I'm well, very well off and very wealthy. I don't think that I am. I've worked very hard for everything I've gotten. I started working at 13 years old, and I've had very few breaks in life, uh, the latest one notwithstanding due to losing the job and COVID and all of that. But my idea of wealthy has definitely changed as life has gone on. When I was younger, uh, when I was 17, 18, 19, I probably would have looked at someone like myself and said, oh, that person's really wealthy. But what we're talking about tonight is the people who have got such an amount of money that they'll never, ever have any problems in their life. We're talking about presidents and rulers of countries, royal families, sports figures, entertainment figures, everything else. So if you haven't heard about these papers, they're called the Pandora Papers. And tonight we're going to give you a basic brief in introduction to these papers as a tide you over episode until I can get episode two of season four out. So I'll give you a bit of a background about how that happened and how I've had a bit of a screw up moment. And then we'll crack open the vault and I'll explain to you a bit about the Pandora Papers and what they are. So this isn't going to be a massively long episode. We're probably talking half an hour, 45 minutes, but it's going to give you a good intro to what the Pandora Papers are. So, folks, I was running around trying to get the season premiere organized, which I did. And that season premiere was the first part of the Betty and Barney Hill story. The first claimed abduction that we know about. I mean, there have been others that have come about after their case that claim abductions earlier. But this was the earliest case at the time that came out and the people claimed an abduction. And this was Betty and Barney Hill in New Hampshire in 1961. As you would know by now, on every season of The Paranormal Sun, barring the first season, I think, we always kick it off with a big UFO case. And Betty and Barney Hill is really top shelf, top drawer UFO stuff. Well, basically, I was running around. I got the first episode written. I recorded it, got it all. I had a uh, draft saved on the podcast platform that I use. And I saved it, and then when I went to upload the the audio file, there's a button for save your draft, and there's a button for publish. Well, when you click the save your draft button twice, it doesn't really work. So when I went to do it, it, it just published. So it was out on Saturday, and I meant it to come out Wednesday, the normal day, so the 13th of October for you in the U.S. Uh, versus the ninth. So there it was. It was out there. And I wasn't, yes, I can recall an episode once it's released, but I realized that there are people who are listeners to the show that would have it auto downloaded basically into their list. And so I didn't want to fiddle with that. So I said, oh, well, I'll leave it out there. So this is a long way of me saying I don't have episode two ready tonight because this was meant to be episode one. So what we're going to do, folks, is we're going to do this bonus episode. We may do a second bonus episode leading into episode two of the Betty and Barney Hill saga. I don't really know how many episodes we're going to do. I'd like to say two, but it's a big case, folks. And in episode one, I mean, we went two hours and I just barely got to kind of giving you the background of what happened on that night and just got to the immediate aftermath like the next couple of days after them actually having this sighting and this encounter in the New Hampshire mountains. So we'll see. If it takes two episodes, it takes two episodes. If it takes three, it takes three. It is what it is. Now, also, as we're in October, we will, of course, have that Halloween spooktacular, the second annual one for the Paranormal Sun. I'm very excited about it. 
and that will be out around Halloween, maybe the day before, but it'll be out around there. And I'm going to have several of my own stories again. If you, the listeners, would like to have your stories read on the air, get a hold of me, theparanormalsun at gmail.com. You can send me your stories, you can send me your recordings, or we can set up a time to record your story, whatever you want. I'm happy to do it on air. If I don't get any stories, and I haven't gotten any yet, and I do realize people are busy, I fully understand it, but if I don't get any stories, I'll find some other good stories online, and the first Halloween Spooktacular last year, I covered my stories from Illinois, so this year will be the ones from California, and I'll try and find some other stories in and around California if uh, I don't get any listener submissions. Now, just a couple other things before we get into these papers. First and foremost, as I say, thanks so much to Trey. And Trey is definitely the chapter president for Oregon now. Thanks, Trey, for supporting the program and sending me so many good things for me to read on air. I really do appreciate it. Now, I also just wanted to support a podcast that's out there. I, I'm going to tell you the truth, folks. I haven't had a, list, a chance to listen, but the podcast looks quite good, and it's called Beyond the Edge of Darkness, and they basically, their byline is that each week we cover a dark story, case, or event from serial killers to demonic possession, uh, and I've had a look at a few of their episodes, and it looks pretty good. The latest one they did was about a haunted property. Um, I'll see if I can find it right now folks i'm just scrolling through to see if i can find it um yeah i think it's woodchester mansion in uh gloucestershire gloucestershire um sometimes i do struggle with some of the english names i haven't heard before uh so i do apologize for that but anyway uh, they do seem to be, uh, I think that was it, the Corpsewood Manor Murders. I think that was their latest episode. So yeah, folks, if that sounds like something that you'd be interested in, let me know. And um, go over and check them out. Beyond the Edge of Darkness is uh, the podcast. So aside from that, I'd also like to give a very quick shout out to a couple of other uh, listeners. One is Jake in the mighty Bay of Plenty here in New Zealand. Jake, thanks for the support, the kind words, and I'm glad that you're enjoying the episodes I put out. Really do appreciate it. Now, uh, the other one is to all of my listeners in Germany. Had a big boom of listeners in Germany, so thank you so very much. And to each and every one of you out there listening as well, wherever you are in the world, uh, I really do appreciate everything that you do all the all the uh all the listens all of the social media support thank you from the bottom of my heart honestly thank you so much i'll have a post actually going out it'll be out around the time this episode drops maybe a little bit after basically celebrating that the paranormal sun has been listened to in 75 countries plus worldwide we're actually close to 80 and we're marching towards 100. So, I mean, thank you so much all over the world. Spain, Italy, Luxembourg, Germany, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Russia, U.S., Guatemala, Brazil, Argentina, obviously New Zealand and Australia, the Bahamas, Bermuda, Jamaica. Uh, it's just astounding, folks. It, it really is. And thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I really never thought I'd have that many people all over the world listening so thank you so much so folks no news of the damned on this episode we're just going to get into first i've got an article for you on a rough background of what the pandora papers are and then i'm going to read you the page of the actual organization who got together the journalists to start going through these papers so now it's time, folks, for us to crack the vault and start understanding a bit more about what these Pandora Papers are and why it's so important that we pay attention. 
Okay, so folks, as I said, first we're going to read this article from The Guardian. And again, there's always links in the show notes. So if you want to go and check these out for yourself, by all means, just go in the show notes and there'll be a link to both of these pages that I'm going to read you. So the first one is from theguardian.com, but it's a UK newspaper. And this one says, Pandora Papers, what has been revealed so far? Key revelations from leaked files exposed an alternative financial world where the super rich can hide their assets and pay little or no tax. And you see, that's the part that's got me and a lot of other people pissed off. Okay, so it says... So there's a bit of Q&A, which I think it'll be quite good to give you a background on. So the first one here says, what are the Pandora Papers? The Pandora Papers are a leaked cache of 11.9 million files from companies that specialize in creating offshore companies and trusts. So I've been saying 11.9 million pages. No, 11.9 million files. That's insanity. They are the latest major data leak to expose an alternative financial world where the super-rich can hide their assets and pay little or no tax. Following on from the Panama Papers in 2016 and the Paradise Papers in 2017. Now, I'd heard about the Panama Papers, but at that time I was in, uh, wasn't in a good headspace in 2016. And also, I was working full-time, trying to pay my bills, so I wasn't paying attention to what the uber-rich were doing as most of you right now probably are in that position, and that's why I'm covering it for you. What do they show? The files reveal how wealthy individuals can shield their income and their assets from taxation and scrutiny by hiding them in offshore jurisdictions, more commonly known as tax havens. So, I can't speak for everywhere in the world, but to my listeners in the U.S., for sure, You've heard of shell companies or offshore companies, and that's the idea is that the company is set up overseas uh, where the person getting the benefit from the company would pay less tax. And it's often shown in TV shows where they're investigating as being a bit of a scam or something untoward. Well, that is the idea behind it. But then you've got companies that are so large like Amazon and Google and that that they just basically bully governments and they say well if we'll only pay x amount of tax and if we have to pay more we'll just move offshore we'll just go to another country and they just basically hold the world's governments uh th that's what they do is they basically hold them hostage and it becomes a matter of whoever agrees to these low taxes then they'll base themselves there so again, uh, sorry folks to get uh, sidetracked, but it's just giving you a bit of background. So it says, Not everyone named in the Pandora Papers is accused of wrongdoing, but using companies or trusts incorporated in tax havens, such as the British Virgin Islands, Panama, or Switzerland, the rich can ensure their assets remain hidden, and sometimes that enables tax avoidance. The revelations th so far. Abdullah al-Hussein, the King of Jordan, has amassed a $100 million global property empire hidden through offshore companies. His lawyers say there's nothing improper about him holding his property portfolio offshore. But the revelation will be hugely sensitive in Jordan, where activists have previously been arrested simply for asking how much land the king owns. The Queen's Crown Estate has launched an internal review after the files re revealed it paid £67 million to the family of Ilman uh, Aliyev, the president of Azerbaijan, in order to acquire part of their London property portfolio. The Aliyev clan has presided over Azerbaijan, one of the most corrupt countries in the world, for two decades. Aliyev and his family did not respond to invitation invitations for comment. Well, of course not. They're in charge of a country that basically, what's a newspaper from the UK going to do to them? Of course they're not going to comment. Uh, former British Prime Minister Tony Blair, and his name comes up again and again. I know they came up in the Panama Papers, and he does come up a lot about avoiding tax. 
Tony Blair and his wife, Cherie, appear to have saved around 300,000 pounds in stamp duty. That's about half a million dollars New Zealand um, off the top of my head. And it'll, it'll be about three fifty plus $350,000 plus U.S. after acquiring a property owned by an offshore company. There's no suggestion of wrongdoing on the part of either the Blairs or the sellers, although the arrangement illustrates how routine the use of tax-avoiding offshore companies has become for high-value property transactions. I'll give you my thoughts at the end, folks. I'll just bite my tongue. I'll get through this, and then I'll give you um, my thoughts. Conservative Party donor Mohammed Amirzi, who funded Boris Johnson's leadership campaign, is revealed to have advised on the structure of a deal that was later to be found to be a £162 million bribe for the daughter of Uzbekistan's president. Amirzi's lawyers said any suggestion he knowingly facilitated corrupt payments was false and that the underlying arrangements for the deal had already been put in place before his involvement. Of course, it was the guy before me's fault. A Russian-born oil tycoon, Viktor Fedotov, whose firm has made huge donations to the Conservative Party, secretly co-owned a company, once accused of participating in a massive corruption scheme, the file shows. Fedotov said he was too unwell to comment, but denies wrongdoing. The papers reveal the extraordinary hidden wealth of Russian President Vladimir Putin's inner circle. His childhood friend and an alleged former lover among those revealed to have amassed extraordinary wealth hidden through offshore companies. Well, that's always the way anytime you've got people in these circles, even in the U.S. I know a lot of people in the U.S. still think uh, land of the free and home of the brave and all of that, but the, the government's corrupt. It may not be as bad as other countries, but I've said it time and time again, it is corrupt. And anyone who doesn't see that is either willfully ignorant or they just haven't looked into it enough. But the reality is when you're in power, as long as Putin's been in power or a lot of the senators and representatives in the U.S., they might they're not as wealthy as Putin, obviously, but none of them are. None of the people who have been in power for 20-plus years is uh, going without meals, I can tell you that. A law firm founded by uh, Nikos Anastasiades, okay, that's good enough, Anastasiades, the president of Cyprus, and which still bears his name, was reported to financial regulators by an offshore services provider that believed it had given them false names to hide the assets of a controversial Russian oligarch. The president insists he had he has had nothing to do with the firm for years, while the firm strongly denies any misconduct, of course. The Czech Prime Minister, Andrev uh, Babis, who is up for re-election this week, is revealed to have acquired a chateau in the south of France by routing money through a series of offshore companies. He denies any wrongdoing. The Ukrainian president... Uh, Volodymyr Zelensky is revealed to have transferred his shares in an offshore company to a friend just weeks before his election. When approached for comment, his spokesman said, won't be an answer. At least he's honest. Munis Elahi, the Pakistani minister for water resources, pulled out of making investments through offshore tax havens after being warned that his country's tax authority would be informed. The files suggest. A spokesperson denied wrongdoing and said all declarations required by law were made. Well, yeah, he just pulled out of the deal. The president of Kenya, Uhuru Kenyatta, and his family are named as having amassed $30 million of offshore assets, including London property. Kenyatta has previously called for all politicians to make their assets public. He did not respond to requests for comment. If it's offshore and hidden, yeah... It, it, it would make you look a lot better than the people who have to declare their money that's on the up and up. The wealth of Lubov uh, Cher Chernukian, who has donated 2.1 million pounds to the Tories since 2012, appears to flow in part from the corporate structures of her husband. Okay, so it's a lady, sorry. Vladimir, a former Russian state banker and finance minister under Vladimir Putin. The files also reveal the extent to which the couple rely on a vast offshore network of companies to fund their lifestyle. Their lawyers deny Lubov uh, Chernovich's 
donations have been funded improperly or influenced by anyone else. Heads of government, oligarchs, business tycoons, ruling families, and a Middle Eastern monarch are among the anonymous owners of at least £4 billion in UK property, the papers reveal. Many of the properties are in the most exclusive London postcodes, Mayfair, Knightsbridge, Kensington, and Belgravia. Okay, I've never been to the UK. I've never been to London. But I know Mayfair, Knightsbridge, and Kensington. So that tells you, I mean, that's the upscale areas, because even I know those are upscale. The profits from Unioil, a Monaco-based company behind what was previously dubbed the world's biggest bribe scandal, moved through a series of offshore companies before being invested in two... uh, invested in 200 million pounds of UK property, the documents suggest. Conservative Party co-chair Ben Elliott jointly owned a secret offshore film financing company that indirectly benefited from more than 120,000 pounds of UK tax credits. Douglas Latchford, a prolific trader of looted Cambodian cultural heritage, used offshore trusts and companies to transfer ownership of sacred Khmer antiquities and avoid UK inheritance tax on the proceeds of selling them. Upstanding man there. Ferrer and co-lawyers to the Queen acted for Abu Bakar Bagudu, who has since been accused by the U.S. Department of Justice of playing an instrumental role in a notorious corruption scheme through which billions of dollars were looted from Nigeria. Jonathan Aitken, the former conservative minister once jailed for perjury, received £166,000 to write a hagiography of Kazakh dictator Nurzlatan Nazarbayev, according to documents. Okay, so, quite a bit there. But basically, any illusions you may have that this is just dictators and People in these third world countries looting their countries should be obvious that that's not the case. Yes, there is a large amount of quote unquote dictators or strongmen on that list. But uh, last time I checked, the UK was meant to be a democratic country with a parliament. Tony Blair was on that list. So, okay, let me clarify one thing that I said at the very beginning as well. I understand that there are some of these people with lots and lots of money who simply go to the accountant or the lawyer and they say, how do I do this? And the lawyer or the accountant's advice may be, do this, do this, do this. You'll pay fewer fees, da, 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 da. Okay. I do get that. So there may be times where people don't knowingly do some of these things. They're just following advice from their legal counsel, etc. Okay, that may be the case. But still, someone like Tony Blair, who was the prime minister, he knows better. He may be doing nothing illegal, but is it morally ambiguous? Of course it is. And he'll be worth millions and millions of pounds already. So what what is the effect to him to pay the proper tax that he should pay? Yeah, of course he's got the money in his pocket, but what I'm saying is it's not going to make the difference between him enjoying his life and not, okay? It It is just a bit ridiculous to me. Um, yeah, but you can see there, folks, it is pretty pretty widespread. And again, these lists keep coming out. We got this one. Then we had the Panama Papers, and we had those other, the Paradise Papers that I hadn't even heard of. So yeah, folks, it just keeps going. Now... The website, which is the company now, uh, so sorry, if you're wondering where I found out about this, it was basically that our New Zealand paper, which has gone downhill a lot uh, in recent years with what they do and what they put out there and what they call quote unquote news, um, they, I, I, I saw them mentioning the uh, Pandora Papers, and they didn't have an article about it, but it just give you a rough kind of overview about check out these Pandora Papers. So I started poking around online, and that's when I found out about it. So, yeah, it it's one of those things. It does make me wonder when you got people this rich and powerful. It does make me wonder how much of it 
has been leaked on purpose where there are certain people that know that they're not going to be prosecuted or anything like Tony Blair and that. And maybe it's taken pressure off of some of the other people like the British royal family, like U.S. politicians, like U.S. Uh, tech billionaires and that. Yeah, it makes me wonder. I don't know if you remember, folks, but um, when I was growing up, there was a movie called The Untouchables, and it was the one with Kevin Costner. It was the old one, and Kevin Costner and um, oh, what's it? Sean Connery, right? And in that movie, they're trying to get Al Capone's uh, bookmaker, basically, the guy who keeps track of everything, the bookkeeper who keeps track of where all the money and everything else is, and they want to get him to testify. Well, that's the thing. Some of these super, super rich people, like the top 10 richest people in the world, they'll all have bookkeepers and accountants and that. They cook the books 10 ways to Sunday to save them every penny they can. And again, I'm not saying those people don't do anything for us, lower people, the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the plebs or whatever you want to call us. But, um, Again, as a percentage of their income, they don't do nearly as much as we may be led to believe. All right, so now we're going to get into this website, which is it's ICIJ, the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, okay? And this one here says, Offshore havens and hidden riches of world leaders and billionaires exposed in unprecedented leak. The Pandora Papers reveal the inner workings of a shadow economy that benefits the wealthy and well-connected at the expense of everyone else. And it says, by ICIJ, uh, October 3rd. Okay. Millions of leaked documents and the biggest journalism partnership in history have uncovered financial secrets of 35 current and former world leaders. 35, that's a lot. More than 330 politicians and public officials in 91 countries and territories. So the odds are, if you're listening to this, someone in your country is involved in this. And a global lineup of fugitives, con artists, and murderers. The secret documents expose offshore dealings of the King of Jordan, the presidents of the Ukraine, Kenya, and Ecuador, the Prime Minister of the Czech Republic, and former British Prime Minister Tony Blair. He seems to be the big name so far, him and Tony and, and Putin. The files also detail financial activities of Russian President Vladimir Putin's, quote, unofficial minister of propaganda, unquote, and more than 130 billionaires from Russia, the U.S., Turkey, and other nations. The leaked records reveal that many of the power players who could help bring an end to offshore to the offshore system instead benefit from it, of course stashing assets in covert companies and trusts while their governments do little to to slow a global stream of illicit money that enriches criminals and impoverishes nations. Now, this is one of the other things that pisses me off. Sorry for the aside. But in the U.S. and many other countries, including here, oh, well, you, you've got to declare this and you've got to declare that because we can't have any money laundering going on, you know? Your your hundred dollar bet on the on the Super Bowl or what that could be black market money laundering. And here you've got billions and trillions of dollars being moved around as they please, with very few questions asked. I mean, it's literally it's just like what the Nazis did at the end of World War Two. It's like, well, okay, you want to put a hundred million dollars in my bank? Well, I won't ask too many questions, okay? It's like uh, also if you've seen the movie The Wolf of Wall Street when he goes to Switzerland and opens that Swiss bank account and the banker is telling him exactly the answers he needs to give to the questions. And again, I understand that the banks directly benefit from that. It doesn't make it right. So yeah, it, it, it really aggravates me that you've got crap like in the U.S. where they can literally seize any cash you've got over a few hundred dollars saying that it's the proceeds of crime and they don't need to prove anything. So you could have $2,000 cash because you want to buy a car. You could just not trust banks and you cash out your check and you carry it. And it's on you to prove that that money isn't the proceeds of crime or drug dealing or whatever. It's not up to them to prove that it is. It's a bunch of crap. And yet in the meanwhile, here you got these uber criminals at the very top just basically doing what they want, when they want, 
And, oh yeah, uh, I don't have to explain myself to you little peons down there. Just hold my bucket while I take a piss. You know, it's like, it's unbelievable the arrogance and the outright attitude that they have that they just do what they want in, pr in plain sight. And us little uh, peons are not going to have anything to say about it. And there's nothing we can do. It's ridiculous. Among the hidden treasures... Okay, so sorry. Back to the story. <laughs> sorry, folks. I get really, really wound up when we're talking about subjects like this. Among the hidden treasures revealed in the documents, a $22 million chateau in the French Riviera, replete with a cinema and two swimming pools, purchased through offshore companies by the Czech Republic's populist prime minister, a billionaire who has railed against the corruption of economic and political entities. Uh, sorry, uh, elites. Yeah. Yeah, okay. More than $13 million tucked in a secrecy-shaded trust in the Great Plains of the U.S. by a scion of one of Guatemala's most powerful families. A dynasty that controls a soap and lipstick conglomerate that's been accused of harming workers and the earth. Three beachfront mansions in Malibu purchased through three offshore companies for $68 million by the King of Jordan in the years after Jordanians filled the streets during the Arab Spring to protest joblessness and corruption. These secret records are known as the Pandora Papers. The International Consortium of Investigative Journalists obtained the trove of more than 11.9 million confidential files and led a team of more than 600 journalists from 150 news outlets that spent two years sifting through them, tracking down hard-to-find sources and digging into court records and other public documents from dozens of countries. In other words, folks, these are not just accusations. They've tracked down the sources. The leaked records come from 14 offshore service firms from around the world that set up shell companies and other offshore nooks for clients often seeking to keep their financial activities in the shadows. The records include information about the dealings of nearly three times as many current and former country leaders as any previous leak of documents from offshore havens. In an era of widening authoritarianism and inequality, the Pandora Papers investigation provides an unequaled perspective on how money and power operate in the 21st century and how the rule of law has been bent and broken around the world by a system of financial secrecy enabled by the U.S. and other wealthy nations. The findings by ICIJ and its media partners spotlight how deeply secretive finance has infiltrated global politics and offer insights into why governments and global organizations have made little headway in ending offshore financial abuses. An ICIJ analysis of the secret documents identified 956 companies and offshore havens tied to 336 high-level politicians and public officials, including country leaders, cabinet ministers, ambassadors, and others. More than two-thirds of these companies were set up in the British Virgin Islands, a jurisdiction long known as a key cog in the offshore system. Yeah, folks, like I say, when I lived in the U.S., that was always the joke, is that you, they've got these uh, shell companies in, in these um, British islands, places like... Um, uh, the Cayman Islands and, and uh, the Bahamas and places like that. At least $11.3 is held, quote-unquote, offshore, according to a 2020 study for the Paris-based Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Because of the complexity and secrecy of the offshore system, it's not possible to know how much of that wealth is tied to tax evasion and other crimes, and how much of it involves funds that come from legitimate sources and have been reported to proper authorities. Every corner of the world. The Pandora Papers investigation unmasked the covert owners of offshore companies, incognito bank accounts, private jets, yachts, mansions, even artworks by Picasso, Banksy, and other masters, providing more information than what's usually available to law enforcement agencies and cash-strapped governments. People linked by the secret documents to offshore assets include India's cricket superstar Sanchin Tendulkar, pop music diva Shakira, supermodel Claudia Schiffer, 
and an Italian mobster known as Lel the Fat One. The mobster, Raffaella, Raffaele Amato, has been tied to at least a dozen killings. The documents provide details about a shell company registered in the UK that Amato used to buy land in Spain shortly before fleeing there from Italy to set up his own crime gang. Amato, whose history helped inspire the highly praised movie Gomara, is serving a 20-year prison sentence. Amato's attorney did not respond to ICIJ's request for comment. Tendulkar's attorney said the cricket player's investment is legitimate and has been declared to tax authorities. Shakira's attorney said the singer declared her companies, which the attorney said do not provide tax advantages. Then why are they offshore? Schiffer's representative said the supermodel correctly pays her taxes in the UK, where she lives. In most countries, it's not illegal to have assets offshore or to use shell companies to do business across national borders. Business people who operate internationally say they need offshore companies to conduct their financial affairs. But these affairs often amount to shifting profits from high-tax countries, where they are earned, to companies that exist only on paper in low-tax jurisdictions. Bingo. Using offshore shelters is especially controversial for political figures, because they can be used to keep politically unpopular or even illicit activities from public view. In popular imagination, the offshore system is often seen as a far-flung cluster of palm-shaded islands. The Pandora paper shows that the offshore money machine operates in, any, in every corner of the planet, including the world's largest democracies. The key players in the system include elite institutions, multinational banks, law firms, and accounting practices headquartered in the U.S. and Europe. Now, folks, uh, full disclosure. My country here, New Zealand, is one of the countries that it has been found a lot of this is going on in. A document in the Pandora Papers shows that banks around the world help their customers set up at least 3,926 offshore companies with the assistance of Aleman, Cordero, Gal, uh, Galindo, and Lee, a Panamanian law form, firm led by a former ambassador to the U.S. The document shows that the firm, also known as Alcogal, set up at least 312 companies in the British Virgin Islands for clients of the American financial services giant, guess Morgan Stanley. What do you know? J.P. Morgan rises again from the grave. A Morgan Stanley spokesperson says, We do not create offshore companies. This process is independent of the firm and at the discretion and direction of the client. Yeah. But you profit from it. The Pandora Papers uh, in investigation also highlights how Baker McKenzie, the largest law firm in the U.S., helped create the modern offshore system and continues to be a mainstay of this shadow economy. Of course it does. The best crooks in the world come from the U.S. That's me speaking, not this article. Baker McKenzie and its global affiliates have used their lobbying and legislation, drafting know-how, to shape financial laws around the world. They've also profited from work done for people tied to fraud and corruption. Reporting by ICIJ has found. The people that firm has done work for includes Ukrainian oligarch Ihor Kolomosky, who U.S. authorities allege laundered $5.5 billion through a tangle of shell companies. $5.5 billion. Oh, so a billion. It's so hard, folks, to put it in perspective. But you've seen the movies where there's like a million dollars on a pallet. A billion is a thousand millions. So think of a thousand pallets. I ran a warehouse and all of our shelf racking, like every shelf space in the whole place, right? That all the space we had was like around 700, all right? So we couldn't have even fit a billion dollars in all those racks. We would have had pallets of money on the floor and a decent sized building. Purchasing Factories and Commercial Properties Across the U.S. Heartland Baker McKenzie also did work for Joe Lau, a, a now-fugitive uh, financier accused by authorities in multiple countries of masterminding the embezzlement of more than $4.5 billion from a Malaysian economic development fund known as 1MDB. ICIJ, ICIJ's reporting found that uh, low relied on Baker McKenzie and its affiliates to help him and his associates 
build a web of companies in Malaysia and Hong Kong. U.S. authorities allege they used some of these companies to shift money looted from 1MDB. A spokesperson for Baker McKenzie said the firm seeks to provide the best advice to its clients and strives to ensure that our clients adhere to both the law and best practice. The spokesperson didn't directly address many questions about Baker McKenzie's role in the offshore economy, citing client confidentiality and legal privilege. But he said the firm performs strict background checks on all potential clients. Yeah, I'm sure you do. If you have $100,000, yeah, we're probably going to check. If you've got $100 million, yeah, we're probably going to be a little bit less exacting with our checks. You know who. The Pandora Papers investigation is larger and more global than even ICIJ's landmark Panama Papers investigation. Okay, that's good to know. So this same group did the Panama Papers, which rocked the world in 2016, spawning police raids and new laws in dozens of countries and the fall of prime ministers in Iceland and Pakistan. The Panama Papers come from the files of a single offshore services provider, the Panamanian law firm of Mossack Fonseca. The Pandora Papers shine a light on a far wider cross-section of the lawyers and middlemen who are at the heart of the offshore industry. The Pandora Papers provide more than twice as much information about the ownership of offshore companies, and all the new leak of documents reveals the real owners of more than 29 offshore companies, sorry, 29,000 offshore companies. The owners come from more than 200 countries and territories, with the largest contingents from Russia, the UK, Argentina, and China. The 150 news outlets that joined the investigative partnership include the Washington Post, the BBC, the Guardian, Radio France, Austro-Croatia, the Indian Express, Zimbabwe's The Standard, Morocco's Le Desk, and Ecuador's Diario El Universo. A global team was needed because the 14 offshore providers that are the sources of the leaked documents are headquartered around the globe, from the Caribbean to the Persian Gulf to the South China Sea, and as I say, down here in the Pacific. Three of the providers are owned by former senior government officials, a former government minister and presidential advisor in Panama, and a former attorney general of Belize, who controls two providers. For a few hundred or a few thousand dollars, offshore providers can help clients set up a company whose real owners remain hidden. Or for perhaps 2000 to 25000 they can set up a trust. Trusts are big here, in this country. In some instances, it allows its beneficiaries to control their money while embracing the legal fiction that they don't control it. A bit of paper-shuffling creativity that helps shield assets from creditors, law enforcement, and, handily enough, ex-spouses. Offshore operatives don't work in isolation. They partner with other secrecy providers around the globe to provide interlocking layers of companies and trusts. The more complex the arrangements, the higher the fees, and the more secrecy and protection clients can expect. As I said earlier, if you've got $100,000, probably going to get a lot less protection than you are with $100 million. The Panama Papers show that or sorry, the Pandora Papers show that an English accountant in Switzerland worked with lawyers in the British Virgin Islands to help Jordan's monarch, King Abdullah II, secretly purchase 14 luxury homes worth more than $106 million in the U.S. and the U.K. The advisors helped him set up at least 36 shell companies from 1995 to 2017. In 2017, the king bought a $23 million property overlooking a California surfing beach through a company in the BVI. The king paid extra to have another BVI company, owned by his Swiss wealth managers, act as the nominee, director for the BVI company that bought the property. In the offshore world, nominee directors are people or companies paid to front for whoever is really behind a company. Application forms sent to clients by Algogol, the law firm working on the king's behalf, say that the use of nominee directors helps Preserve privacy by avoiding the identity of the ultimate principle, being publicly accessible. Yeah, because wouldn't want those people that were writing to know what you're up to, would we, Kingy? In emails, offshore advisors used a code name for the king, you-know-who. <laughs> oh, I like it. You-know-who. 
look, folks, I'm not going to go too far into this. Um, when I was working in management in the corporate world, I had a file and it was requests from people high up the pyramid. And I called that file Project Olympus, as in the gods on Olympus. So, yeah, code names are nothing new. I use them. And that just gives you an idea. Because you just look at the file, oh, Olympus, I wonder what that is. But what it was was requests for, won't say anything illegal, but things that were, it would be hard if you were standing on the outside, it would be hard to weigh that request and approve it in any other light other than the fact that these people were way up the food chain, if that makes sense. So if a normal person in another department came and asked me for something like this, it wouldn't happen. But my my marching orders, not in not in writing, of course, but my marching orders from my management chain was that if these people from Project Olympus wanted something, you did it. And again, we're not talking about things like drugs or anything illegal or illicit, just things like preferential treatment, uh, dropping everything and doing what they wanted, providing labor to do things, etc. Okay, so all I'm saying is these code names and this special kind of privilege, anyone who's worked in a business. You all know if the owner of the company asks you to do something, you generally do it. Same kind of idea. That's what I'm getting at. Okay, so it says, UK attorneys for the king said he is not required to pay taxes under Jordanian law, and he has security and privacy reasons to hold property through offshore companies. They said the king has never misused public funds. The attorneys also said that most of the companies and properties identified by ICIJ have no connection to the king or no longer exist, but decline to provide details. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Experts say that the, as ruler of one of the Middle East's poorest and most aid-dependent countries, the king has reasons to avoid flaunting his wealth. You damn right he does. If the Jordanian monarch were to display his wealth more publicly, it wouldn't only antagonize his people, it would piss off Western donors, who have given him money. Anella uh, uh, Shalene, an expert on political authority in the Middle East, told ICIJ, oh, I would think so. In neighboring Lebanon, where similar questions about wealth and poverty have been playing out, the Pandora Papers show top political and financial figures have also embraced offshore havens. They include the current Prime Minister, Najib Mikadi, and his predecessor, Hassan Diab, as well as Riyad Salameh, the governor of Lebanon's central bank, who is under investigation in France for alleged money laundering. Totally innocent, though. Marouane Kiradine, Lebanon's former Minister of State and the Chairman of Al-Mirawad Bank, also appears in the secret files. In 2019, he scolded former parliamentary colleagues for an action amid a dire economic crisis. Half the population was living in poverty, struggling to find food as grocers and bakeries closed. There is tax evasion, and the government needs to address that, Kiradine said. That same year, the Pandora Papers revealed... Kiradine signed documents as owner of a BVI company that owns a $2 million yacht. Well, hey, you know, they need food. They don't need yachts, so I can understand why he wouldn't want to share his yacht with them. Al-Mawarid Bank was one of many in the country that restricted customers' U.S. dollar withdrawals to stem economic panic. Heard that before? Wafa Abu Hamad... Hamdan, sorry, a 57-year-old widow, is among the regular Lebanese who remain angry at their country's elites. Because of runaway inflation, her life save savings plummeted from the equivalent of $60,000 to less than $5,000. So imagine that, folks. You have, let's say, $600,000 saved in the bank, right, for your retirement. And that value goes down to $50,000. Wouldn't you be pissed? She told Diraj, an ICIJ media partner, All my life's efforts went in vain. I've been working continuously for the past three decades, she said. We're still struggling on a daily basis to maintain our living, while the politicians and bankers have all transferred and invested their money abroad. You betcha. 
And again, not just in countries like Lebanon. U.S., U.K., Europe. Yep, all of you are just as guilty. Kiradine and Diab did not respond to requests for comment. In a written response, Salome said he declares his assets and has complied with reporting obligations under Lebanese law. Mikadi's son, Mahir, said it is common for people in Lebanon to use offshore companies. Well, obviously not that poor lady that's, uh, you know, had her money, the value of her money cut in, uh, what was it? I think it's worth one-sixth what it was. Whatever it was, it's just ridiculous. Due to the easy process of incorporation, rather than a desire to evade taxes. So, yeah, it's nothing to do about evading taxes. Oh, we just want to incorporate these businesses. There must be a reason why you're doing it. Don't don't act like, oh, well, we just do it because it's easy to incorporate. There's a reason you're doing it. Coalition of the Corrupt Imran Khan was elated when ICIJ's Panama Papers investigation came out in April 2016. The leaks are godsent, the Pakistani politician and former cricket superstar said. The Panama Papers revealed that the children of Pakistan's prime minister at the time, Nawaz Sharif, had ties to offshore companies. This gave Khan an opening to hammer Sharif, his political rival on what Khan described as the coalition of the corrupt, ravaging Pakistan. It is disgusting the way money is plundered in the developing world from people who are already deprived of basic amenities, health, education, justice, and employment, Khan told ICIJ's partner, The Guardian, in 2016. This money is put into offshore accounts, or even Western countries, Western banks. The poor get poorer, poor countries get poorer, and rich countries get richer. Offshore accounts protect these crooks. Ultimately, Pakistan's top court removed Sharif from office as a result of an inquiry sparked by the Panama Papers. Khan swept in to replace him in the next national election. ICIJ's latest investigation, the Pandora Papers, brings renewed attention to the use of offshore companies by Pakistani political players. This time, the offshore holdings of people close to Khan are being disclosed, including his finance minister and top financial backer. What do you know, Mr. Khan? So yeah, where are the 336 politicians in the Pandora Papers from? Looks like the biggest group, looking at this map that they've got, is Ukraine. Yeah, 38. 19 from Russia. 8 from Kazakhstan. 2 from Mongolia. 2 from China. 2 from Indonesia. 6 from India. 5 from Saudi Arabia. 7 from Pakistan. 4 from Italy. Three from France, um, nine from the UK, five from Spain, three from Portugal, three from Morocco, ten from Nigeria, two from G- two from Chad. You get the idea. Nine from Brazil, three from Bolivia, seven from Mexico. Yeah, uh, four from Argentina. Basically, all over the world. The documents also show that Khan's water resources miniature, Chowdhury Munis Elahi, con- uh, contacted Asi City, a, uh, Asia City, sorry, a Singapore-based offshore services provider, in 2016 about setting up a trust to invest the profits from a, uh, from a family land deal that had been financed by what the lender later claimed was an illegal loan. The bank told Pakistani authorities that the loan had been approved due to the influence of Elahi's father, a former deputy prime minister. Yeah, once again, that power, you know, gets you things. Asia City records say that Elahi backed off from putting money into a trust in Singapore after the provider told him it would report the details to Pakistani tax authorities. Elahi did not respond to ICIJ's request for comment. Hours before the release of Pandora Paper Stories, a family spokesman told ICIJ Media Partners that misleading interpretations and data have been circulating in files for nefarious reasons. The spokesman added that the family assets are declared as per applicable law. Well, uh, yeah, interesting that, isn't it? Well, then why are they there? But, you know, somebody must have been framing him. Also today, a spokesperson for Khan told a press conference that if any of his ministers or advisors had offshore companies, They will have to be held accountable. You bet. 
Other political figures have also spoken out against the offshore system, while surrounded by appointees and other supporters who have assets stored offshore. Some who have spoken out have used the system themselves. You betcha. Every public servant's assets must be declared publicly so that people can question and ask, what is legitimate? Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta told the BBC in 2018, if you can't explain yourself, including myself, then I have a case to answer. The leaked records listed Kenyatta and his mother as beneficiaries of a secretive foundation in Panama. Other family members, including his brother and two sisters, owned five offshore companies with assets worth more than $30 million. Kenyatta and his family did not reply to requests for comment. Yeah, funny that, eh? And folks, it does go on. Uh, I mean, I'm only about halfway through this. And I don't want to bury you with another half an hour to 45 minutes right now. So what we're going to do is um, we're just going to call it call time on this. And um, I'll get back to you with the next round of Pandora paper stuff. Yeah, um, it is astounding, folks, the amounts and the numbers and everything else. But it just goes to show you, man, They, there are two sets of rules in this world. There is the set of rules for you and I, and there is the set of rules for the uber-rich. So, yeah, it is something else. So, aside from that, folks, let's see. You're probably looking at the next episode of Season 4 coming out next Wednesday, so a week from today. It's Wednesday here right now. And might have one more bonus episode in the meanwhile. But I want to get back to those Wednesday releases. And uh, sorry for cocking up and releasing tonight's episode on Saturday, releasing it early. Take care, my friends. Stay safe. Keep an eye on what those multi-billionaires are doing because there's, uh, there's a lot of money moving around the world, my friends. And uh, if, they can, if, they can rob, uh, if they can rob the toilet out from under you, they will. Trust me. Take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon.